I don't believe in singleness without support. I think asking people to be single without a support structure, I think that is cool. I don't think singleness is cool. I think expecting people to go through life single and alone and not being willing to show up for them, I think that's cool. This is The Unsuitable Podcast, where I interview single Christians in order to broaden the conversation on singleness and expand our collective imagination of what is possible for the single life. I'm Mary B. Seyfried, a communicator, creator, and coach passionate about filling the gap between what the church offers and what single Christians need. Each episode this season, we're going to be talking about being single and in the church, the good, the bad, and the awkward. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow, rate, and review so you don't miss new episodes. Today's conversation was a blast and a half, and I can't wait for y'all to meet Henry Abuto. Originally from Kenya and currently based in Fort Worth, Texas, Henry is a Christian man who writes on friendship, faith, sexuality, race, Jesus, and a whole host of other topics. He loves hosting dinner parties, running, live music, deep friendships, red wine, Beyonce, and all things Texas. In today's episode, you'll hear Henry and I talk about holding our married friends accountable, the vulnerability of sharing our suffering, and tangible ways the church can show up for singles. Before we dive in, let's talk about getting support as a single person. If you're a single Christian who's tired of trying to cultivate a full, meaningful life alone, it might be time to try one-on-one coaching. I'm Mary B. Seyfert, a singles coach committed to helping you make the most of your right now life. Head to marybsafert.com slash coaching, fill out the interest form, then schedule your free 60-minute intro call. I can't wait to hear from you. Alrighty, now let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Henry. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, Mary B. Thank you for having me. So in preparation for our conversation, I definitely did some light stalking. Okay. And I saw that you have a food truck. That is correct. Can you tell the people all about your food truck? Like what kind of food and how you started and all the deets? Yes, I started my event plan and catering business in 2016 part-time. Went into it full-time 2019, left corporate America behind took the leap and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this and see if I can make a living solely out of it. So then I started doing to-go meals, meal preps for people, private parties at houses or businesses like corporate mixers, stuff like that. All that gained traction more and more. And eventually it led to the opportunity to acquire a food truck summer 2021. So got that then. And uh, yeah, I was running full steam of that all last year. I had some health stuff come up. And so I had to put a pause on the food truck. A friend of mine is renting it out right now, but I'll be back in it this fall, probably actually next month. But yeah, so I had the food truck for about a year and a half. And I've been doing private catering for about six years. And I have pop-ups and brunches around town at different venues and restaurants and bars and whatnot. So it's... uh full-blown food operation is what I've been doing for the past six years. And I feel like I was doing that before, even just because the way I grew up, I was always a friend that was always hosting people at my house or in college, throwing like birthday parties in the dorm lobby and stuff like that. So it was like a very natural direction for me to go in terms of operating that way in the food industry and providing that kind of service. That's awesome. I spent quite a bit of time in food service throughout school and when I was when I first moved to the city. So I always really respect people who are 
in food service and especially who are kind of in the more like chef, like back of house kind of area. It is not for the faint of heart. It really isn't. I mean, you know, in New York, I can't even imagine. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> like the stories you must have. <laughs> I can't. Well, I worked at a pretty like fancy Indian restaurant in yeah. Soho. Uh-huh. So, and I don't necessarily look like the kind of person who should be selling Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to learn everything about the menu, everything about the drinks, like all of the ingredients, all of like, and there was a specific way to sell all of the stuff that we had to learn and, you know, selling wine and, and all of that jazz. It was, um, it was a pretty fast paced and intense environment. Have you watched The Bear on Hulu? Um, no, because I feel it's like, like triggering. <laughs> it's going to be triggering. Yes. Yes. I couldn't finish it. I made it through like five episodes and then like, I was like, I would try to go to sleep and now I'd be like, I'd end up having dreams about like being back in a restaurant or like somebody yelled corner or chef or th- I was just like, Fine. no, I can't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I didn't finish it. Everybody's like all my service industry friends, like people kept recommending it to us. One of my friends said, why do you want me to re- relieve my trauma after I got off work every night? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I would love for us to shift gears a little bit and yeah. chat about a different area of your background, I guess. Um, your a little bit about your spiritual journey, just to give the people a taste of of where you're coming from and and how you got to where you are now. For sure, and let's dive right in. Now, so I was born in Kenya, um, in Africa. Um, so moved here 24 years ago last week. So I'm 33. I currently live in Texas. I was born into a church family. My dad was a minister or a priest in the Anglican church. And so from an early age, I was in the church. I sang in the kids' choir. My mom says I sang before I could talk. So I grew up knowing the Lord. And when I was nine, we moved to the States and continued being plugged into a church here. And I knew something was different about me when I was four. By the time I was 10, I had language for it. I knew that I was gay or attracted to men. I don't think I said gay at like nine or 10, but I certainly knew that I was same sex attracted to use this evangelical term, which I use those terms interchangeably. So however somebody feels about the terms, I've kind of given up that conversation at this point in time. But um, yeah, so I'm following the Lord with a traditional view of sexual ethics. So that's the extent I'll get in that part of the conversation. But, um, and so I knew something was different. But then I was like, okay, so whatever. Um, was involved in high school ministry or middle school youth group, high school ministry, started leading worship in high school. Um, and then I would also like have this, which started like a eight year period from like 13 to 23 of one foot in, one foot out, kind of living for Christ, but also like living for the world, like being in inappropriate sexual relationships. Um, just kind of doing whatever I want, then seasons where I'm in church and whatever. But throughout all that, even when I was living in willful disobedience, as I call it, or as it's called, my faith in God was never something I questioned or the word was something that I never questioned. Um, so it's not like I was wrestling with what the text said or how it called me to live. In any arena, it was more, I'm just going to do what I want right now, which is a dangerous place to be. So yeah, that was kind of part of that. And, uh, 
when I was 20, I just turned 33. So when I was 25, I would say I came back to my faith fully after a year, and that was 2014, a rather difficult year. I'm kind of wrestling and pleading with God to bring a group of people around me who would walk alongside me and encourage me and shepherd me and kind of run the race, so to say. And it happened after nine months. God kind of put me in a situation. I was like, all right, well, you've been asking for this. It's clear as day. Here it is. And so I got plugged into a local church here and in the young adult community. I was 25 at the time, so I got plugged into that community. And, yeah, met, met a really solid group of men and godly women and leaders and teachers who really championed me and helped just shepherd me and kind of bring me back into a full walk, a full and right walk with God. Not perfectly right, but at least a more balanced and kind of two feet in the same place walk. And yeah, then that was 25. And the next three years were kind of just coasting and everybody's in the same stage of life, right? And which is kind of where we're headed in this topic with the podcast um, or why I'm talking about here. Everybody's single. Nobody's married yet. Everybody's like post-college, 23 to like 27. And so, yeah, being single in the church at that point in time was fine because, like I said, everybody was single. We all had free time to hang out together. We'd go to concerts together, have game nights, do this, whatever. Like, yeah, we're best friends. We're going to see each other all the time, and that's never going to change. And oh, how naive that is because... I mean, wow, the marriage rate is just insane. I have, at 33 years old, I have, I kid you not, I've been to no less than 200 weddings. Stop it. I'm not kidding. A hundred of them were between 2014 and 2021. Like, yeah, 2014, 2020, a hundred of them. Like, yeah, because 2018, I went to 18 weddings. 19, I went to 19 weddings. And then, yeah, it was... I mean, half of like those memes you see about the guy who's always at weddings, half of like my weekends in 2019, I was at a wedding, 2018 and 2019 of the year. Yeah, that was a lot. And I don't repeat outfits to weddings. So think of two different, 200 different outfits of one to a wedding. And so that's, (laughs) yeah, it's insane. And so yeah, being single post- 28 was different than before. Yeah, 28, 29. Because, oh, my God, my 29th birthday was just brutal. Like, that's when, like, the depression just kind of hit. Not not just because of singles, but largely contributed to it. Was, man, all my friends. And I kept describing it as this. And this goes for whether you're a man or woman, same-sex attracted, heterosexual. Is that when you're single in the church and you're in your 20s, specifically the American evangelical church, like your friends start getting married off, there's this pressure, right, to get married and have uh, kids or whatever. And then when you switch small groups or married to singles and you keep rotating through single small groups and singles mm. ministry and all your friends are now in this ministry because the church likes to segregate those things. And I remember I had a panic attack in like, like a low-key one, not like a high-key one, but a low-key one. In my pastor's office, and I was like, "Hey, Tyler, like, what's gonna happen when all my friends keep getting married and I'm still single and celibate? Because this is what mm-hmm. I believe Scripture is calling me to right now." And 
he was like, we'll cross that bridge when you get there. And then three years later, I walk in his office. I was like, we're at that bridge. Like, what are we doing about this? And it's mm-hmm. just like, it felt like when you gra- like you graduate high school, people go off to college and you're stuck there repeating senior year. And mm. that's just kind of what it felt like for like a two year period for me. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then you start going to baby showers and then you start going to gender reveals and then baby showers and then, Oh, and then you get on the meal trains to take food over because they just brought the baby home. And then before you know it, it's baby's first birthday. And then it's their wedding anniversary and this and that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, after four years of you having these conversations, I doubt I'm saying anything you haven't heard. <laughs> Maybe the number of weddings only. But um, yeah, so that was just my mid to late 20s in the church and uh, with singleness and because even now, I'm 33, and a majority of my close friends, specifically close believer friends, are married. I'd probably say, like, 90 to maybe even 95% of my close believer friends who are, like, I fellowship with, like, on a weekly basis or something, are married. Um, just because, like, I kind of, like, stuck it out. I was like, okay, I'm not going to just fall off your life because y'all are married and marrieds tend to do that actually. And I was like, I'm not going to let y'all with my specific group of friends. Um, so it's taken a lot of work, which I'm sure you've already talked about the single person um, ending up taking some of the burden of the responsibilities of maintaining the friendship because they perceive that we have more time. And if you're listening to this and you're married, I love married folks. I have nothing against you. So I hope it doesn't sound like I'm coming off that way. I'm just giving a perspective from Mm-hmm. What my life has been like the past eight years. No, it was great. You know, you mentioned this, these couple of years where you were really feeling that sense of isolation maybe, or for me, I describe it as kind of feeling left behind as people are like passing all of these milestones. But like, as far as working through that, was it really just a matter of being super intentional with your married friends and really like making sure you're staying in their lives or like, where would you say you are with that today? Yeah. That time period, like 2018, I remember those one Easter. Easter is my favorite holiday. And oh my God, one time I did this, y'all do not do this to yourself, single people. I hosted a Super Bowl party. It was like seven couples and I was the only person, everybody, I have a picture of it. Everybody's in my living room, coupled up. And I am just like, why did I do this to myself? Because it was like in the thick of engagement season too. Like everybody in that room was about to get engaged or whatever. And I'm close to all these guys. So I'm helping them go ring shopping. And I know none of these girls know. And it was like literally five couples in the room were about to get engaged in the next two months. It was like, why did you do? And then one of them was already married. I was like, why did I do that to myself? But um, I remember that same Easter, I... Easter is my favorite holiday, but I just like had this breakdown. My roommate, my best friend, John, who happened to live with me at the time. Um, I just like step out in the living room and like him and his girlfriend, who I'm, or now wife, who I'm really, really good friends with as well. I set them up. I'm a good matchmaker for like straight people, <laughs> but um, I am. And uh, I just like had this breakdown because I just felt the weight of just like feeling like I didn't have that person or feeling alone or feeling like, you said they'll have these life milestones. I'm getting left behind. But yeah, as painful as it was, I just invited my friends into that experience with me. And like they held space mm-hmm. for me. Part of it was like painful, but also like embarrassing. Cause it's like, man, I'm really bearing my soul and being raw here. And like, what if they respond poorly to it? And like, luckily for me, I was really surrounded with 
friends who like were able to like sit in that space with me and not try to rush me out of it or try to be like, oh, well, mm. like when they say, well, singleness and marriage have this own set of different, different circumstances, which is true. But it's like, I didn't need platitudes at the time. I just needed people to sit with me. And a lot of my friends did that well. Some did not, but um, most of them did that well. And it was, yeah, so kind of how I got through that was really leaning into, I remember one day I got home and I'm sitting outside my driveway or I'm sitting outside my house in my car. And I was like, oh man, I want to hang out with so-and-so today. And I started going through my phone. And I was like, when I realized that we're no longer in that stage of life, I'm not, when every single person I wanted to text was married and like had dinner plans with their spouse or their child, like family or something. So it's like, oh, I'm on this island over here. Um, mm-hmm. And then just leaning into that and then reaching back out to like, hey, I have single friends. And like, even though they're younger than me, because it's like, also, although like our friends are, if I'm single, whatever, my friends are married um, and we're the same age, I'm still in the same life group with them, just like different, like, one's married one's not like i at 28 i still had a lot more in common with my married friend who's 28 than a 21 year old young adult single guy at the church so while if i turn back and mentor those guys it does not make sense for me to be in close relationship with them based on life stage maturity it makes sense for me to be in relationship with my married friends um or my friends who are single but in my age cohort my age group just based on maturity and our walks and whatnot. And so I had to lean into that, um, probably get closer to some of my single friends because now I'm like, oh, y'all have been in this place of pain. And I didn't know. Now I'm like joining y'all over here. Mm. And then just like holding my married friends accountable, like in terms of like schedules, commitment and like making space and time for one another. And then realizing something that my pastor friend who is in New York um, now, he said he was officiating a wedding that I was the best man at. And, uh, he was like, Henry, I want you to know that just because John's life is moving on, it does not mean that yours is stagnant, that God has forgotten about you, that you're getting left behind. Your life is moving on too. It might look a little different, but your life is not moving on any less than theirs. And that was so profound. And then the wedding happened and I bawled. <laughs> but, and it gave me a chance, honestly, to focus on my own life. Because I think when we're single and we're looking around us, it can be just tempting to be like, all right, I got to keep up with that person. I got to do this. And then you throw social media into it. Then our cycle world and everything, you just feel like it's a comparison game. And it's yeah. like, why am I so busy focusing on when they're married, when they're getting a kid, when they're having a kid and when they're doing this, that I'm like, Hey, my life is actually moving forward too. Like I want certain things to propel further in my life. Now that my friends, I have, they have less time to devote to, pursuing things we did when we were single, that means I have more time to pursue things that I want to do that I probably or maybe didn't have a chance to do during those seasons of life when we were all kind of pursuing the same similar life thing. We'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. First, I want to tell you about Buzzsprout. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is a great way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. 
Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. It also helps support our show. All right, let's dive back into today's episode. Something you said really struck me. And I mean, like you were talking about it being very vulnerable to be honest with your friends about where Mm -hmm. you were. And I kind of was like thinking, why is that? Like, why is that vulnerable? Because it seems like a very normal human thing. But then you Mm -hmm. like really touched on it when you were talking about like, you don't want right the platitudes or necessarily the Mm -hmm. advice. You just want someone to sit with you. And I feel like in those moments, it can be very hard to be honest um, or it can feel extra vulnerable because I think maybe there's that fear that whoever you're talking to is going to try to fix you yes versus just sitting with and that's like adds to the the vulnerability right Mm because it's there's like a i don't know when one comes into a conversation with the attitude of like instead of listening like i'm gonna fix you there's a little bit of like i don't know condescension yes like that's mixed in there as well yeah maybe we're afraid that they're gonna think less of us or or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I was reading something last night about suffering when we share our suffering with other people and evangelical Christianity or evangelical spaces. um, Suffering is almost like a badge. It's like, oh, well, you know what? God's going to produce something good out of that, which is true. I mean, scripture tells us that, but it's like, if I like, and some girl is to use an example or a, Last night, she was like, if I told you my mom is suffering, like my mom died, would you, and I'm suffering, you, would you say, oh, well, you know what, that's going to produce a great strength in you right now. So like, you know what, other people's moms have died too, so it's fine. It's like, no, that would seem really condescending if someone shared something painful like that with you, and then you wanted to rush them to their healing. And I think that's what yeah. the church and the culture can try to do with single people. It's like, well, this is the answer to why you're feeling sad. So just hold on to these truths and we don't have to sit in your feelings because mm-hmm. it makes them uncomfortable too as well. It's like, oh, yeah. I have to sit here and help this person process this. And I think we have as a culture, specifically, specifically as a Christian culture, we've lost almost the art of just sitting with people in their waiting period in their loneliness and their discomfort and we just want to rush them to their place of healing where we think they should be because we don't like them comfortable ourselves and because i'll talk to married friends and they'll be like oh nobody told me marriage was this hard or whatever and i feel like whenever and they say that and i agree with them because whenever they don't have people who are older than them who've been married maybe 10 years compared to their two telling them these things because we're all just already to get out of that place of pain or difficulty. Once we get to the next place, we don't turn around and tell the people behind us, hey, this is going to be really painful or this mm. season is going to go through this. And so we're all just focused on, okay, I want to get out of this pain. And then so if somebody brings their pain to me, I'm going to just try to get them from it, not through it. Because getting mm. through somebody means you're walking through something with them. From it means you're just taking them from one place to like you want them to go somewhere else. And so mm. I think that's part of the reason why it's uncomfortable on both sides and it's it almost like you know when you share that with somebody it's like well you don't want them to think that well maybe henry's less of a believer maybe mary b doesn't believe Mm -hmm. strongly enough because if she did 
then she'd just be like, my grace is sufficient for you. Why don't you just get that tattooed on your arm? Mary B, look at it every day and you don't need comfort. You don't need anybody to sit with you. You don't need anybody to come over for dinner with you. You don't need somebody to go to the park with you. Like God's grace is sufficient for all that. Like, no, yes, it is. But like, we were also made for relationship and community. Yeah. I actually do have that verse tattooed on my ankle. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Amazing. So they can't even give me that because I already have it. I already have it. What else? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were talking about like people wanting to rush you through your Mm -hmm. discomfort or not necessarily looking back and and really being able to to help you move through it, Mm -hmm. but rather move you from it. It occurs to me that there's probably a sense of maybe in some cases, some like unprocessed pain or whatever that they just didn't really deal with. And perhaps that you expressing that discomfort is reminding them of their own discomfort Mm -hmm. that they had that they didn't really know how to deal with and just Mm -hmm. maybe pushed through or what didn't, didn't resolve and just kind of got married and and are moving on with their lives. And so I do think that's like a really interesting value that singles bring to the church though, is that, you know, those feelings, which are all very human feelings, right? Mm -hmm. The feelings of loneliness, of abandonment, of, you know, whatever, whatever it is, which are all very universally human, Mm -hmm. that, you know, we experience those, um, can experience those in an acute way that, you know, we don't have the, the marriage relationship to maybe kind of distract from. We kind of have to sit with those feelings of loneliness in a way that is perhaps like maybe a little more raw. Maybe there's less of a romantic relationship to kind of offset those feelings onto. I think that there's something about how we kind of have to learn to reconcile those Mm -hmm. feelings, to sit with those feelings, to be with those feelings that, that we can't pass off to a romantic relationship, to to a sexual relationship that I think is a very unique value that singles bring to the church. I agree. Learning to to move through all of that. Because we've had to learn how to just sit and find even, dare I say, rest in the uncomfortable part of it instead of mm. just wanting to, because we don't have the option, but okay, well, I can just bounce this on to somebody or bounce this. Because I mean, I know so many like men too who get married and they think getting married is going to solve all their issues or they don't have any friendships outside of the spouse, whatever. And now. then- now you've made your wife, your therapist, your mom, yep. your friend, your confidant. It's like, no, like married people need healthy friendships with other married or single people outside of it. I think like people, honestly, a lot of them like white knuck it. Like, let me just get to marriage. And then once I get there, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Then they get married. They're like, oh, actually, everything's not fine because of problems I don't deal with in singleness, whether they're emotional space capability, emotional intelligence, IQ, they're going to show up in my marriage. And one of the things that my best friend, like you just said, we have a gift off the church um, in that because when my best friend got married, within like literally three weeks, he was like sending me texts like, oh my gosh, thank you for like having hard conversations with me and like help me learn how to push through some of these things because they're showing up as a blessing in my marriage. And his wife and I are good friends. So she's like, oh, thank God. Like you already taught him how to like think through this or helped him figure out how to like navigate this where I don't have to feel the weight of this because what will happen sometimes I've seen it. I saw like a case study done on it 
like women, like when their husbands die, like older in age, and the woman's like they become the widow, they like all of a sudden start going on cruises and traveling and doing this because they're just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not like having to take care of this adult child in certain ways that I did yeah. for the past 40 years or something. So it's like yeah. singles absolutely have that gift in terms of like when you're single, you're forced to learn how to like deal with your emotions on your own kind of dare. I even say sometimes like budgeting and finances on your own in ways that yeah. you don't have that Ooh, girl. Don't even get me started. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> what I would get for a dual income household. Oh my, it would change my life. <laughs> but, preach, preach. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't live in this house, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I think just the things that we have to learn and offer back to the church, they are valuable. And there is worthiness as like an offering of those things to the church and to God. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's things like, you know, when I was looking for an apartment and I was dealing with a broker who was super shady. So I had to like call him and have a pretty confrontational conversation, Mm -hmm. which is not something that I would want to do. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was like, there's nobody who's going to do this. There's nobody who has like skin in the game who's going to like, you know, take this role of telling this guy that like you're full of it, you know. So like I had to suck it up and do it. Yes which was really uncomfortable, but you know, it felt good to stand up for myself and I can't say it solved my like confrontation issues, but I was like really proud of myself for not like going with this apartment. Yeah. Cause the guy was like very sketchy or even like learning to hang a shelf or whatever. Oh. And, I mean, there's a lot to be said for like expanding our imaginations of like what we're allowed to ask of friends. Mm hmm. Girl, because I'd be asking, I don't assemble no piece of furniture in this house. I call, oh, like I don't even, I've known, um, I hate assembling things. I can't remember last time I saw anything in this house. I will call my friends, single and married. I'll be like, come over here. I saw a rat dead in my house two weeks ago. Uh I freaked out. I can't do snakes and rats. I can't. I didn't even see it. I smelt it. I like posted on Instagram, asking people to come over. And then my friend, he sent his wife because he can't do rats either. But he sent his wife and she came over. But yeah, it does grow your capacity of like learning what you can and can't ask because you feel like you're being a burden. Like, do I really want to call someone to build this shelf? So you learned to either do it on your own or you figured out you can ask people to do it. And so. Yeah. But it is that tricky balance of reasoning. Like, when am I just going to suck it up and do it myself? And when do I feel like. I can ask for help or I want to ask for help. There's like a, I don't know, almost like an algorithm to it for me that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate. Yes, I get what you're saying exactly. Like what's my social bandwidth like? Who's in town? Yes. Who runs the last time I asked this person? Yes. 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 (laughs) It's like a rotation. I like literally just go down a list in my head sometimes of those factors too. Yeah. Yes. It's totally, yeah, it's totally real. When to ask someone and who to ask is like a whole thing. I ordered this media table for my TV and all that jazz. And it was from Wayfair. And there was like a $99 fee for like someone to put it together for me. I was like, psh, psh, I'm not doing that. But it arrived and it was huge. It was so big. And I live you know, a third floor walk up with no elevators. Okay. You know, y'all don't have no elevators over there. No Mm -hmm. elevator. 
So I didn't think to look at how big it was because I like have never had trouble lifting things or whatever. But this box was 135 pounds and big. Like there were no handles or anything. It was just like a box. I could I could get my arms around it, but But how can you lift it? It was like (laughs) it was like up to my chin. It was too big. It was too big. And like it was the time of year when a lot of people were out of town and like the friends who were in town, like this was during COVID time. So they'd like just been exposed to COVID. Yeah. So they were quarantining. And I was like, I literally have no idea how I'm going to get this up the stairs. Cause I yeah. don't know my neighbors. Cause that's just how it is. Yeah. Fortunately, someone who lived in the building, like came yeah. in the front door and was like, do you need help? And I said, no, yes. I'm good. Uh, no, you said no. <laughs> I said no, because I'm pathological when it comes to <laughs> receiving help when it's offered on a silver platter. But yeah. I had decided to like take it up the stairs piece by piece, like open the box yeah. and take it up piece uh-huh. by piece. Okay. Not the worst idea if you had to do that. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, oh my gosh, Maribs, why are you like, wh-? he was just offering to help. Yeah. But there was like too many logistical questions in my head of like, this is like a strange man I've never met before. Is he going to like come into my apartment? And like, I don't know. Like, is he, uh, does he have COVID? Yeah. But he, I guess, heard me struggling <laughs> and came out a second time and was like, it would be really fast if we just carried it up the stairs together. And I was like, okay, that would be great. So <laughs> carried it up the stairs well, there you together. Go. Oh my gosh. But, yeah. Yeah. It's cause even I've had to learn. It's like my neighbors across the street. I, I know them cause they live. Cause like, that's the one thing with me. Like my neighbor to my right, I live on a corner lot, but anywhere I've been, I've always been that neighbor. And I think maybe it's part of African culture, but like I'll go bore eggs. Like literally I'm that neighbor that you can come to my house for eggs, laundry, soap, milk, mm-hmm. whatever. And so my neighbors across the street, they have never been inside my house while I've been here at the same time. But they have a door code to my house. Like, they'll come let my dog out. They'll put my packages in. Like, so I'm, like, being single. Yeah, I've had to, like, create this network in my neighborhood of, like, hey, can someone go let my dog out? Because, like, work is running longer than I thought or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's, like, then it kind of makes me resentful. I was, like, well, married people already have a built-in person to do those things. It's, like, uh, (laughs) like, or when I get home, it's, like. Oh, it'd be so nice if somebody put up those clothes already, but it's like, nope, I'm going to be the only person that's putting up those clothes after a long day. Those are the things that when I start thinking about, because I sometimes I joke that I was like, I low-key don't believe in singleness, but I don't believe in singleness without support. I think asking people to be single without a support structure, I think that is cool. I don't think singleness is cool. I think expecting people to go through life single and alone and not being willing to show up for them, I think that's cool. It's hard to be out here alone in these streets. Like the price of every, I mean, like it's a struggle. Inflation. Like, yes. In this economy, singleness, don't recommend. Mm. Zero stars. No. <laughs> so. One thing that you mentioned, you're talking about how singleness without support is cruel. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts or maybe experience with things that you found to be helpful as far as what the church has done, what your friends have done that has been like truly supportive of you as a single person. Yeah. Oh, the quickest example that comes to mind is uh, I had a health scare last fall. So I suffered a massive cardiac episode. Uh, my heart stopped five times. I was in a coma for three and a half days. Got diagnosed with heart failure. My heart was functioning at less than 10%. And they said I need a transplant. And I woke up out of this coma and I'm just like thinking, after like about two, three days of my brain getting together, I was like, 
how am I going to like pay for a heart transplant, pay for this hospital mm-hmm. stay, pay for this, just because like healthcare in this country is what it is. And like people go bankrupt all the time. Then a single person, like I don't have like a spouse with an income or anything like that. So I'm just like, crap. And then I'm sick, so I can't work. Then I'm just like, what's going to happen? And somebody set up a GoFundMe and then they sent it to like just my friends and they posted on Facebook, Instagram, uh, sent it to a bunch of, not a bunch of churches, but churches that I've been a part of over the past decade and a half of my life. And it was so cool to see how the body showed up and supported me and just rallied and raised money and how my friends individually just showed up. Like somebody like sent a cleaning person to my house, somebody like made sure my laundry was done and this and that. And then I was like, well, Daniel, do I have to get sick for to get this kind of support more often? It's like, what is going on? It's like, so I had to die to get support. Is that what you're telling <laughs> single people? Basically. I'm kidding. But no, but it was really tangible way of seeing the church rally around me. And like, I hope the church would be up anybody single or married. But mm-hmm. as a single person, I think it just meant something a little different to me to see that. Can I ask, I feel like this is a story loop that people will want to close. Were you able to get your heart transplant? So, oh, a story loop, yes. <laughs> so my heart was too weak to get a transplant when okay. it happened. And so it happened in October, so 11 months ago. And okay. I've been on meds lots. I mean, I'm at the doctor like every other week or something. i lots of meds and stuff like that. I've had two follow-up procedures, or three. Yeah, I have three. I have a device in my chest right now. But my heart had a 3% chance of recovering on its own without needing a transplant. And I told the surgeon that I serve about a 3% chances. And I go in next month and it is looking like I will not need a heart transplant. So, because my heart is recovering on its own. And so my doctor was like, you should write a book and make that got a 3% chances the title. So That's that's looking like that. So thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think in making time, like my friends, which then it's also like, you should make time for your friends. So I don't seem like you're doing anything extra that you shouldn't be yeah. called to do. So like my friends make time for me, which they should do anyway. One time I, this is my old church. I was just like, no, I'm not cycling through another young adults, like singles life group again. I was just like, they're like, well, we don't have a curriculum for how like to mix co-ed life groups or small groups i was like well you figure it out because i'm going with my married friends over here like these are like been my friends for three four years i've been in a small group with them and then they're like well we don't know what curriculum i was like well you're gonna figure it out and so they did but i am highly critical and so whenever i call out the church it's uh more black people always say i'm calling you in instead of calling you out if you're trying to help someone Mm -hmm. grow versus just attacking them I'm sure mm-hmm. the racists say it too, but I usually hear black people say it. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's an invitation to call you in. And so I was just like, I'm pretty adamant about calling the church in about, hey, y'all have historically done a really poor job of uh, singles and marrieds and making singles feel like second-class citizens in the church. Or whenever there's a conference, hey, all single people, this is a wonderful time for you to sign up and drag parking. And like, mm. oh, like, no, I have more giftings to offer than direct parking in the church. So why don't you figure something mm. else I can do just because it makes you uncomfortable. That has nothing to do with me. Or then it's like also like, so just because someone got married, now they can't park anymore. 
or like they can't serve in this area anymore. It's or they can't serve in student ministry. Oh, it's so crazy to me. And I'll just be calling those things out. I'm like, do better, do better, do better, do better. Like, mm. and so largely they tend to be responsive, uh, respond well to it. But it's also like, have you not thought about these things before? Because you were single before, which just goes back to what I said earlier about they're just in such a rush to get out of that. They don't want to recall the pain they went through in it. So they just act like it didn't happen. Yeah. Mm. That's some good stuff. <laughs> Maybe it's the the people pleaser in me, but I always feel a little bit like not always having the gumption to ask those questions mm-hmm. to say, Hey, like sometimes I do with like closer friends or mm-hmm. whatever. And of course I do in my work yeah. like, all the time, but you know, if it were a matter of like me talking to an elder or something like that and being like, yo, what's up with this? Yeah. I think that that to me feels like very intimidating. Yeah. So I really respect you for just going for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I call these things out. But then also to say like, I I, I even have probably more of the freedom to do that. But I can do that because I'm what? A man. And so yeah. it's almost received better. If you were doing it, it's like, that is out of place for her to come and question an elder or a church pastor or something about this, which is a yeah. whole set of dynamic that single women navigate very differently than single men do. Because at the end of the day, the power dynamic is still favored towards the man in that equation or the example we just used. So, yeah, yeah. I feel for my single girlfriends. I really do. Oh, my goodness. I feel for y'all. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It is a whole thing. You don't want to be labeled as like a problem or, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. After 2020, I stopped caring. I was like, and it's because yeah. I'm a people please well, but I was just like, look, we're going to need to talk about these things because like, this is just out of hand. It's out of hand mm. church. And like, and I yeah. critique the church from someone who I'm saying, Hey church, I am in this house that we live in. I'm saying we need to go and reupholster that couch or take that rug out. I'm not saying you need to do this so I can benefit from it. It's like, Hey, we collectively need to do this so everybody in here can benefit and everybody yeah. watching can feel welcome and included to come in this space. Because that's right. like if, I mean, right now I'm thinking about like, if I already didn't belong to a church and I'm single in 33, how would I jump into a church at 33 right now? Like single, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what are the like ministries for like, I even yeah. signed up for a young adults Bible study earlier. I was having lunch with one of my pastors and I was like, do I even qualify as a young adult at 33? And he said, oh, yeah. And then I looked at the registration form. He sent me a link that said 18 to 32. <laughs> and I was like, by the church's standards, I don't even belong in this group anymore because I should be in a married men group. And so I had a call yeah. that we were having lunch. And I was like, I'm about to get interviewed about singleness in the church. And I was like, I'm using this as an example if it comes up. So I'm glad the opportunity came up. Yes. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's those things that like... I don't know. It's not malicious or anything like that. It's just like they're unintentional microaggressions. Yeah. And the reality of being a single person in their thirties is such a foreign one for the people who are making these decisions, right? That it's just like, doesn't even occur or like the, the extra effort maybe of trying to figure it out doesn't necessarily seem necessary. If there isn't someone like you, who's like, no, this is not, this is not okay. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, and isn't it interesting, as you said, that it's foreign to them, people making those decisions. And then I have to remind myself that I'm like, this evangelical culture in church, like, it's 
a bubble for sure, and it is reality, but it's not all there is reality because I look outside of the church, and yes, I have friend, plenty of friends who are single in their late 20s and early 30s, mid-30s. Like, it's not mm-hmm. abnormal. Like, it's like, yeah. I feel like the stigma, we feel like we should do, do do this. It's like based on this church culture that the Bible never even said that specifically. Like there was That's no right. timeline where you had to do this. But when you're insulated and look within that, it's like an echo chamber and a bubble, if you will. And it's like, oh, well, I feel this, I feel this. But you look at the world, it's just like, I literally, I know I have more single friends in their 30s who are non-believers, who are nominal believers versus in the church. And that kind of also helps me to process my singleness when I'm like, this is not abnormal. Like Henry, like you're in yeah. a culture and an environment that wants you to think that you made a mistake or you've fallen behind, but this is just how your life is going and that's okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension or like cognitive dissonance and having to like constantly negotiate that in your brain and mm-hmm. your heart and your spirit yes. right? of this is the reality I'm seeing around me. But there's a truth that's deeper than that that I need to be able to hold on to in spite of all the evidence around me, not feel like I'm behind, not feel like a second class citizen, not feel like whatever the case may be. Yeah, it is that cognitive dissonance. I like that term because it's like, I know it's true here, but this is thinking something different and this is leading me to feel this way. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's a lot to hold intention together. Yeah, for sure. So I'd love to ask you two last little questions okay the first is how can we support you where can we find you on the interwebs etc i am on instagram at bywasanga is my business b-y-w-a-s-o-n-g-a i have merch and stuff like that or food gift cards or whatever and then i have a writing website which is just henryabuto at yahoo.com so this is my first and last name so just go read stuff. I have resources on there pertaining to singleness, sexuality, race, a host of other topics, uh, pretty educational site. Um, I'm on Twitter at Henry Abuto. Follow at your own risk because my tweets are the most, they're usually just song lyrics. <laughs> so, And people are like, what is he talking about? I was like, no, nah, I was listening to Moona this morning. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but And support through prayer. So I'm entering a busy season of work. And then... My health, uh, it's healing is trending up and to the right for sure. So praise God. So just to hold me in prayer, my heart, health, and prayer, my physical and my spiritual heart. So, yeah. Last but not least, will you tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? I switched churches a couple of years ago and then the pandemic happened. I left my church home in like five and a half, six years and went somewhere else, which has been healthy and great. But it's hard to learn how to trust like a body of people like in a community aspect at a new church whenever like I have so many close attachments to my old church we're still regularly in my life so I'm trying to navigate like adding new people into my life from my church and like just learning to trust again in that aspect um because there was some church hurt that I definitely experienced as I was leaving my last one something that is great I uh, am uh, the Lord brought a wonderful friend into my life who's a younger person so like I'm like I do not want to be friends with anybody younger than a certain age because like, I don't want to feel like I have to raise somebody, but mm-hmm. um, he's proven to be a really wonderful friend. And so that's been just fun getting to know someone in a healthy way. So the Lord's using that to help you learn how to trust people again. So Amazing. Yeah. Well, Henry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Mary B. This was fun. Yeah. It was 
It's no secret that many singles feel like outsiders in the church. That's why we've created a Patreon community. For a small monthly fee, you can get access to bonus content, plus a community where your voice and presence are valued. Tiers start at just $5 a month. Sign up at patreon.com unsuitable. You can follow Henry on Instagram at Henry Abuto. Be sure to check out his website, henryabuto.com. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please take a minute to rate and review. To stay up to date on all things unsuitable, follow me on Instagram or TikTok at maryb.safrit. Or subscribe to my weekly newsletter at marybsafrit.com. Unsuitable is produced by Studio Aplum. Sound engineering is by me, Mary B. Safrit. And the theme music is by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. Catch you on the flippity flop.